How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, and everything is finally working. YouTube has been giving me a bit of a hard time lately, as I don't know why. It's been glitching out and delete deleting chats and uh, all kinds of stuff. It wouldn't let me go live. It wouldn't let me put forward the... Uh, the preview title cards and all that kind of stuff, but finally it's working. <laughs> Some days I just hate technology. All right, it's working. We're here now, so we're going to continue on. So please be praying that everything would work out well. There'd be no issues. Appreciate your prayers and support in that. I'm not that technically inclined. I know how to push power and how to click go live, but how all the other stuff, I don't, I don't know how to do it, so... I just, I just pray and push buttons. So anyways, we're, we're here now. Praise the Lord. So anyways, good morning, good morning. I hope that uh, these videos are an encouragement and a blessing to you. I hope that uh, you're learning lots from our studies, and I hope that uh, you are reviewing the material that we're putting out. We have a ton of other uh, playlists as well, tons of other content and uh, and studies. We have our book of revelation series that i highly recommend you check out as well if you're interested in the book of revelation and this uh, series that we've been doing the gospel of john series is a walkthrough of the gospel of john uh, just doing a slow exposition of the study and we just uh, go go through very slowly taking a look at the words and the and the the discussions the miracles the the works and the claims all these different things looking at the different uh ways that jesus proves his divinity and we see the different uh teachings and doctrines and things that jesus gives and seeing how we can apply it to ourselves uh, to be able to better our understanding again using the three points of the christian faith the three points of bible study all right so today we're up to chapter 15 so please grab your Bibles, notepads and pens, grab your tea, grab your coffee. We're going to be diving into this and taking a look at what the Lord has for us in this chapter. We're only going to be really focusing on, on a first uh, few verses right now as there's a, a big study here. We'll see how far we get. So the Gospel of John chapter 15. Please turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 6. And we're going to just take some time on that passage before we move on, because there's a lot of misunderstandings regarding uh, John 15 verses 1 to 6. And I really want to discuss this. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, then please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. And I'd be glad to hear from you. But uh, if you have something that's not related to the study at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study or to the next broadcast. All right. So let's continue. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. 
Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Okay. Now we see this passage here, we're talking about the branches and the vine. A very famous passage. Everyone's heard of this, and there's a lot of different ideas and teachings and opinions based on this passage. There's a lot of false information and wrong doctrine that's also taught off of this by the works-based salvationists. So let's back up now and take a look through this slowly and see what is Jesus referring to. Well, the first thing we see here, I am the true vine. Now, what does he mean by this? That which is the bringer of life is the branches aren't the bringers of life to the whole to the whole plant to the whole tree. I am the true vine. Now vines go everywhere. Unlike a tree which is sing singularly placed, vines go everywhere. They even travel from tree to tree to tree and they just scatter go all over. We see Jesus talking about how he's going to gather people from all nations, of all kindreds, of all tongues, of all people, and that he atoned for the sins of the world. The vines, uh, the vines travel everywhere, and off of the main root, uh, the main trunk of the vine, come all the other little branches that branch off. This is the imagery that Jesus is giving us. This is the picture that he's using for this passage to help us with the understanding of this doctrine of this teaching. I am the true vine. The primary source of that which is rooted, which brings all the nutrients of all the life. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Talking about how God is the is the one that prepared this, made this the way. As we see this, as we talked about this, how the spirit of the Lord came down, fashioned a body, and fashioned a way, made a way for the, uh, for the atonement for the sins of all the world. As Jesus says, I am from above, that I am sent for this. We discussed that in great detail in the previous videos about uh, how Jesus came, and how he came, and how the Lord prepared the way, and how this is the way, the truth, and the life. So this is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the light. This is the life source. Is the source of life comes from Christ, as it says, and his light was the life of men. Okay, so I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch. Now we're looking at branches. The branches, that, that which are fat fashioned to, grown out of, that which are brought in and, uh, and made a part of the vine. So all the branches. Now, branches can come in of many different sizes, many different shapes, and uh, branches come all, all over the vine, all the, all the little offshoots. Every branch in me, in me, that beareth not fruit. So you see how of the vine, you can have branches that are strong and healthy. The little offshoots are strong and healthy. And some of the offshoots are drying up, withering and dying. They die and fall off. Now, that's what we're going to be really focusing on in a moment, and we're going to be discussing that specifically. And every branch, 
every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And the first big mistake that people make is thinking that means removal of salvation. No. No, it does not. It, it, you can't make the leap to that referring to loss of salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. If you could lose your salvation or have it taken away, that then denotes you have to do works to keep it. You have to maintain works to maintain to keep it. You have to self-atone all this, which then utterly contradicts immense amounts of scripture. Especially uh, the primary ones is that flat out say that salvation is not by works. It's not by righteous works. It's not by works of the law. So how then could you denote that salvation is by works? If it flat out says it's not. But we'll, we'll be getting to that. We'll be getting to that. So every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And we're going to look at that. Okay, what does he mean then? How can we be taken away from the vine? Well, let's take a look. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. That it may bring forth more fruit. Okay, so what is the purging? That's like pruning, preening, uh, uh, all this, uh, of the uh, maintenance of the plant. You know how you, you you take off the dead leaves, all this stuff, and you put you put in the, the fertilizer, all these different things to help it flourish, to get to cause it to bring forth more flowers, more fruit, and all this stuff, to to be able to be healthier and stronger, that it may bring forth more fruit, and that the Lord purges us. Okay, how does he purge us? How, the, how does the Lord purge us? Well, through tests, through learning, that uh, the Lord gives us his word. We see we see the, the theory and then the practical, the theory studies of learning all the book smarts, all the book learning, and then the hands-on. Then the hands-on. You can only learn so much from books. And what you get from books, it's not always easily transferable to hands-on. It's an entirely different thing. Now you got to actually do it. You could be told all about it. You could be shown all about it. But it's not until you do it that you actually get it. So when the Lord teaches us all the different things about walking in him, abiding in him, and the importance of prayer and fasting and all these things, you can read all about that. You can learn all about that. It's not until you actually do it that you start to actually get it, understand the importance of it, why he teaches it, why he teaches it this way, and all the specific details. So he purges us. And the purging can even be the purging of sin, purging of, of trials and temptations and issues that maybe get into our lives that could be a hindrance upon our walk with christ that the lord could teach us and teach us and teach us and teach us about righteousness until we finally get it that these things contradict these things are issues in my in our lives that contradict to what the lord is trying to teach us and we get rid of them we don't have it anymore we get it out of our lives and we don't we don't say it don't think it don't do it we don't have anything anything to do with those things anymore the purging of things that are a hindrance upon our spiritual walk now what about every branch in me that beareth not fruit because every branch that beareth fruit, he purges. Every branch that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And so what does that mean then? 
Verse 3, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Clean through the word. It's through word, not action. Word. Now what word? Through the word which I have spoken, the word of God. So what are some of the fruits? What are some of the fruits then? The fruit of the spirit. What are some of the fruits that become manifested in a believer? Belief. Conviction. That's conviction of sin. Conviction of righteousness. Conviction of the word of God. Conviction of prayer. Conviction of Christian fellowship. So we see there's manifestations of belief. So people who say they love the Lord, they love Jesus, they believe in the Bible and all this, but they have not actually believed upon the gospel, there's going to be no fruit. No fruit of any kind. There's not going to be any conviction of the Spirit, no conviction of the Word of God, no conviction of sin, no conviction of anything. It's just in word only. Be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. Now, we don't focus on manifestations of fruit. We, met, we focus on whether or not they've actually believed on the gospel, the word of God. So if a person says they are of the vine, but they have no rootedness in them, they are not rooted and grounded in Christ according to the word of God. They're, they're not actually saved. They are not actually a part of the vine and they'll be removed as a false convert. They're not actually saved. They never got saved to begin with. Every branch that bears fruit of conviction of belief conviction of the gospel, they actually truly believe the Lord will purge and prune and help and, and cause to grow and flourish. But those that say they're of the vine, but there's nothing in them. There's no spirit of God in them. They're not actually saved. There, there's no actual conviction of anything. It's just religiosity and tradition that they'll be removed from this. There will be many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? Have we not believed in thy, thy name? They don't say. Notice that. Lord, Lord. They'll cry, Lord, Lord. Ha have we not done many wonderful works in the name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not prophesied in thy name? Nowhere do they say, have we not believed in thy name? You'll notice that when you read that passage. They do not say, have we not believed in thy name? They're focusing on religiosity, on works and righteous works. They're focusing all on the outward, not on the inward. Life comes from the inward. The life comes from the light of Christ. The life comes from the Spirit of God. These people, the reason why they don't have fruit is because they don't have life. They don't have anything in them that would cause life. They're dead branches. How can, how can you take a dead branch and graft it into the vine and expect that branch to live? You have to take a, a something that's a living branch and graft it in. Dead branches aren't going to flourish. They're going to be removed. Now watch this. Verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word 
not through actions, not through religiosity, not through traditions, but through the word of God. You're made clean through the word of God, not through works, not, not through righteous works, not through works of the law. You're clean through the word. What does God say? Believe that. Not through water baptism, not through Eucharist, not through priests, not through Mary, not through good works, not through charity, not through the Ten Commandments, not through any other thing. There's literally nothing you could possibly do to replace the Word of God. You're made clean through the Word of God, not through anything else. You're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Not what popes and priests and cardinals are, are catechisms and councils and creeds, but through the word of God and the word of God alone. Look what Jesus says in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. And every judaistic lawkeeper's head just explodes a branch cannot bear fruit of itself you can't do anything to impress god there's nothing you could possibly do there's nothing you could possibly say it's not of ourselves for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man shall boast. Not of righteous works, which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Not of ourselves. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. For even we have believed in Jesus Christ, we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. So it's not of ourselves. We can do nothing of ourselves. With men it is impossible, with God all things are possible. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You can't do anything right. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to sin every five minutes by way of thought, word, or action. Some way, somehow, you're going to slip up, make a mistake. Some way, somehow, every few minutes, that if it was left up to us, we would condemn ourselves to hell in just a few minutes. But that's why it's not left up to us. We're not the ones that bring forth the fruit. Where does the fruit come from? Where does the fruits of the Spirit come from? Fruits of the Spirit, not fruits of the self. It's the fruits of what Spirit? The Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit that's manifested through the heart of the believer. So, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And we just read in John chapter 14, where Jesus talks about how the Holy Spirit of God will teach us and strengthen us and guide us and abide with us. He'll teach us all things and cause us to be in remembrance of everything which Christ has taught us. In John chapter 16, verse 8, the Spirit of God will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment the spirit of god is our teacher the spirit of god is our instructor the spirit of god within us is our life bringer is the nutrients the water the light all of that which gives life to the branch 
We are the branches. He's the vine. He brings up all the nutrients, all the source of life into the branch. The branch doesn't bring the life. The vine does. We can't bear fruit of ourselves except it abide in the vine. What happens if you take a branch, break a branch off the vine? What happens? It dies. Right. The branch cannot maintain life of itself. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Okay, now what does he mean by that? This is where some people misunderstand this part of verse 4, except ye abide in me. So if you don't stay in Christ, you'll lose your salvation. No, that's not what that means. You need to take verses 1 to 6 and remove salvationary aspect out of it. Verses 1 to 6 is not talking about salvation. This is not salvationary here. Abiding in Christ is not salvationary. Because whether or not you abide in Christ or, or, or don't abide in Christ does not affect your salvation. The abiding is not salvationary. That comes after salvation. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and now walk ye in him. Abiding in Christ is not salvationary. This is now the fellowship of. This is now the promotion of. This is now James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 24 and 26, is talking about after salvation. Let's take a look at James chapter 2. Let's go over to James chapter 2. After the book of Hebrews, we see James chapter 2. We want verses 24 and 26. James chapter 2, verses 24 and 26. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Justified. What does that mean? It doesn't say, you see then how that by works a man is saved. It doesn't say that. It says justified. How, how to back up, prove, validate, justify the fact that you say you're saved. Anyone can call themselves a Christian. Anyone can say they love God. Anyone can say they love Jesus. Prove it. Words are cheap. Prove it. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith that works is dead also. You can lose your faith, not your salvation. Because here's a question. When did the prodigal son, when did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? Never. But he took his inher took his inheritance, left, went into the world, squandered his inheritance in riotous living, ended up in the pen with the pigs, a picture of doing that which is forbidden, 
When did he cease to be a son of his father? Never. In fact, while he was sitting in the pig pen, he says, I will return to my father. And as he climbs out of the pen, is walking down the road, the father sees him and says, my son returns. Calls him his son before the son asks for forgiveness. So we see even in that picture, a picture of backsliding, a picture of apathy, a picture of losing faith, but not losing your inheritance, not losing your sonship, not losing your salvation, not losing your membership of the family. He's still a son of his father. Some people say, well, are you advocating then that a Christian could just get saved and go do whatever he wants? No, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. And that's stupid to say that. <clears throat> My point is, is that salvation is by grace, not by works. Saying you have to earn your salvation is calling God a liar, saying Jesus was inept, and saying you have to help Jesus save you, and that if your God needs your help to save you, your God's not God. God, by the word of God, saves by grace through faith through belief alone. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never let thee go. That, that no, neither height nor depth nor power nor principality nor any other thing could separate us from the love of God. And we're sealed by the spirit of promise unto the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. Sealed means held in, held by God. You're held in the hand of the Father. No man can pluck you out. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. Okay. So James chapter 2 is written to Christians who are already saved. And he's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation. There's no such thing. There's not one single verse in the entirety of the word of God that even remotely implies maintenance of salvation. You can't maintain that which is not even in your own power. You can't save yourself. You can't unsave yourself. Now, the other picture here we see as well, if we go back to the Gospel of John, Gospel of John, chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Born again. Second birth. Okay. Just as you had nothing to do with your first birth, you have nothing to do with your second birth. So just as the baby is utterly helpless, does nothing in the first birth, we who were dead in sin, made alive by the righteousness and the atonement and the spirit and the power of the living God, we are born into everlasting life apart, apart from ourselves. We had nothing to do with it. To say that you have a hand in your second birth is to say you have a hand in your first birth, which is just ridiculous. That's that's ridiculous. Now, let's go back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. So, no more can ye bear fruit of yourselves, except ye abide in me, Jesus says. 
Except it abide in the vine, no more can, can ye except ye abide in me. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. I am the life bringer, you are, you are the ones that partake of the life. I bring it to you. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Okay, now what does he mean by abide in? Okay, we're going to cheat a little bit. We're going to go down to verse 7. Go down to verse 7. If ye abide in me. Okay, now what does abide mean? To abide. Your abode. Your home. That where you hang your hat. That which you call your house. To live in. If you live in me. And my words live in you. That's what he's talking about there, to live in. That Jesus isn't just an add-on to your life. You know, it, the, the Bible doesn't just take a slot on the bookshelf. And it's just, you have all your other books, your philosophies, all the other entertainment, everything else, and, and there's your Bible. No, 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 no. The Word of God gets the whole thing. The faith is your whole life. This is your whole life. Look at people who live the word of God. Look, up, look at what they accomplish, what the Lord is able to do with them. Now look at Christians who, they believe in the Lord, they're born again saved, but they don't really do anything hardly at all. They're just weekend warriors. They go, they go to church on Sundays, maybe go to prayer meeting, they maybe touch their Bible once or twice through the week. But other than that, they don't really do anything for the Lord throughout the week. How much is the Lord able to use them? How much fruit are they manifesting? Well, there's a little bit of fruit. Not much. The Lord isn't able to do much with them because they're not living in Christ. As Paul talks about dying to self. I die daily. I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives through me. To abide in, to live in Christ, the word of God lives in you, takes up the whole thing. That everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. Now, why would you do that? Because you want to, not because you have to. Right heart attitude. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So you see manifestations of fruit in your life. You see how the Lord is helping you, how the Lord hears you, how the Lord guides you. You've seen the hand of God in your life. Don't you want to see more? Don't you want more opportunities for witnessing? Don't you want to work for the Lord more, serve the Lord more, see more of the Lord manifested in your life? Don't you want to see that? Well, how can you cause that? How can I make that the case? How can I cause there to be more manifestations of the power of God in my life? Live more sincerely before God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due season. If my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive the sin here of the land. 
is you the closer you get to God, the closer you live to the Lord, the more you bring the Lord into your life, the more manifestations of fruit you will see. The more you pray, the more you fast and pray, the more you study and read and meditate and memorize and witness and serve the Lord, the more you're going to see uh, the Lord bringing forth fruit in your life. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, what is this fruit for? To that the more fruit I can I can I can manifest, the, the more sure that I know that I'm that I can be saved. It's not salvationary. This is not talking about your salvation. This is talking about after you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation uh, uh, from the condemnation of sin, and now walk in him, work with him. Fellowship with him that he may work with you and through you for the furtherance of the kingdom. That's what that's about. This is not salvationary. The reason I'm bringing this up because so many other people over, over our time past have, have tried to use this, have argued with me over this, have debated with me about this, trying to use this as a passage to try to prove that, that salvation is by works. That's dumb. Salvation is not by works. Jesus is talking about the promotion of the faith, proliferation of the faith, like James chapter 2. That's what that's about. Promotion, proliferation of the faith, witnessing, evangelism, the good works of the saints for the purpose of 1 Peter 3.15, sanctifying the Lord God in your heart so that others would want to come and ask you about the good works that they're seeing to draw them, to open doors of utterance. That's what this is about. Okay, now that we've established that. For without me, you can do nothing. Just like how if you get into a discussion, a debate, and you're trying to prove God, prove the Bible through philosophies and psychologies and through the sciences and, and everything else, that's not going to convict anything. That's not going to convict anything. That's not going to convict anyone. That's going to achieve nothing. That only the word of God convicts the hearer. Only the word of God convicts of sin. Only the word of God can lead someone to salvation. You have to use scripture. So just as you can't prove God without the word of God, you can't expect to live unto the Lord without the word of God, without the word of the Lord, without the power of the Lord. It's not in ourselves, it's not our words, it's not our strength, it's not our wisdom, it's not our abilities, it's not our degrees, it's not our diplomas, it's not anything of ourselves. It's only of God. You could live out in the middle of a grassy field without a single house, without a, a single lick of education. You could have literally, virtually nothing void and destitute of absolutely everything, an ignorant fisherman, no education or understanding, but if you have faith, you have more than everyone else in the word of, in the world. Faith in the Lord, faith to move mountains. Moses wasn't the one that parted the sea. He wasn't the one that brought down the plagues in Egypt. Joshua wasn't the one that brought down the wall of Jericho. Samson wasn't the one that knocked down the pillars of the pagan Philistine temple. 
Daniel wasn't the one that shut the lion's mouth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't the ones that, that, that caused the fire to not burn them. We're not the ones that do anything. When it, If it's left up to us, we'd burn the world. We condemn ourselves. It's not up to us. Without me, you can do nothing, God says. We can no more move the powers of heaven than the gravel in the driveway all alone can move the car. We do nothing. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. Now look at this. Verse 6 is not saying. Verse 6 is not saying that you'll be broken off the vine and cast into the fires of hell. It does not say that. Look at what it says. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. See, this branch originally was abiding in the vine. It says it's cast forth as a branch. It is a branch of the vine. Insert in verse 6. Insert in verse 6 the story of the prodigal son. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, meaning it did have life. It was abiding in the vine, but something happened and it stopped. So it was a part of the vine. Can you be a part of Christ? Can you be born again, saved, and lose your salvation? No. This is not talking about salvation. Because look what it says. It is withered and men gather them. Not angels. Not demons, not God, men gather them. This is talking about worldly temptation. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Temptations and trials and tribulations and, and peer pressure, all these things upon some people will cause some Christians to become apathetic, lose their faith, Walk away, the great falling away, prodigal children. The world will gather up the weak ones. The world will try to break off some of the branches. The world will try to draw Christians away from Christ. The world will try to draw Christians away from study of the word of God. Away from proper prayer and devotion of the faith. That's what that's talking about. Men gather them and cast them into the fire. What is the fire? Not hell. Not hell. It's not talking about hell. The fire of temptation and trial and judgment and all these other things that come about is this. Also, and they are burned through worldly issues. Look at this. Now go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
The Apostle Paul gives us an example of this. As, as well as we also see in the, in the writings of, of Acts in the early church, we see another example of this with Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were born-again Christians, members of the early church. But they allowed the enemy to tempt them. As they were there at uh, one time when, uh, I believe it was Barnabas and his wife, I think it was Barnabas and his wife, that uh, brought in some money where they had sold their house, sold their property, and gave all of their money to the church. And they're praised for that. And Ananias and Sapphira became jealous, became greedy. They allowed the enemy, because they didn't resist the temptation, and they gave themselves over to the temptation. They stopped abiding in Christ. They're still born-again Christians. They stopped resisting the enemy. They stopped abiding in the Lord by testing all spirits and all things. And they allowed the temptation, the worldly temptations of lust, uh, to come in, come in upon them. And Ananias and Sapphira conceived this thing in their heart, went and sold, sold some property, kept back some of the money, and lied, saying that they were giving all of the money to the church. So, uh, so therefore, Peter called them out on this. They would not repent of their sin. In their rebellion, they lied to the Holy Spirit of God, and God struck them dead. Ananias and Sapphira are born-again Christians. But what did the Lord warn us? The Lord tells us, What? Know ye not? Ye are the temple of God which is in you, and ye are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're living temples of the living God. What did the Lord say? He who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. That God would rather destroy the temple than hand it over to the devil. So when we are temples of God and we give ourselves over to sin, unrepentant and walking in, in the lusts of the heart and the issues of this world in rebellion and stubbornness and refuse to listen to the conviction of the spirit of God within us, the Lord would rather take us home than let us live in that kind of state. As we see by 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Here's another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. It is reported commonly there's fornication among you. The church of Corinth had immorality going on in it. Immorality, fornication, unrepentant by some of the members of the church. What did, what did Paul warn the church of Corinth about? That in verse 5, Go down to verse 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You'll be handed over to the devil. If you do not repent of your sin, the Lord removes his hands of protection and blessing. God cannot protect. God cannot bless. God cannot work with this. 
you refuse to walk in the Lord, you refuse to abide in Christ, you refuse to take the nutrients of righteousness and the word of God, and you try to strike out on your own like the prodigal son, you'll be taken up by the by the pig pens and the slop and the mud and the filth of this world. And that's where the devils will come in. They'll, they'll fill in the void where God removes his hands. The devils come in to destroy you. But your spirit is still saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see that? He defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. He'll be handed over the, to the devil for the destruction of the flesh, but your spirit will still be saved. So, let's go back. I left my coffee in the other room. I went to grab my coffee cup. And it all. Okay. <sighs> all right. <laughs> all right. So, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Now, with all of this new information here, as we see by the word of God, the context of abiding in him, the context of not abiding in him and what that means, the context of being temples of God and how God would rather destroy the temple to hand it over to the devil, but the destroying of the temple, the context is... The flesh will be destroyed, but the spirit is still saved. Okay, with all of this understanding, now take all of this and apply it on verse 6. If a man abide not in me, what does that mean? He is cast forth as a branch. How does that happen? What does that mean? And is withered. What does that mean? And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. What does that mean? So we see this. Break this down. Therefore, the context of John chapter 15, verses 1 to 6, is talking about after salvation... Living in, abiding in, working in, as a Christian who is saved by grace through faith by belief alone, the fellowship and devotion of the Christian in their walk with Christ. If you become apathetic and you become lukewarm, people misquote that passage too about if you're lukewarm, God will spew you out of his mouth. They think that means God will cast you away into hell. No, 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 no. The father and the prodigal son. Did the father like and appreciate the behavior of the prodigal son? No. Did the father find that the behavior of the prodigal son was disgusting? Yeah. Did the father disown the son? No, but was the father not appreciative and disliking what the son was doing? Yeah. Can a parent be disgusted with the behavior of their children? Yeah. Do you disown your child? No. Do you reprove them and rebuke them and correct them and chastise them? Yeah. Do you still love them? Yeah, but you're disgusted with them. Yes. 
apply a parental attitude upon how God works with us. He deals with us as with dear children, those scriptures say. He deals with us as with dear with dear children. The Lord chastises those whom he loves, he, whom the Lord loves, he chastises. Chastisement means loving parental discipline. God does not punish his children. He chastises. He does not beat us over the head with a club every time we make a mistake, like some of the pagan gods do. No, the Lord deals with us as with dear children. But spoiled, rotten brats will get more severe discipline. So if we take a look how the Lord handles us, if we become severely difficult cases, severely difficult cases where we're in rebellion and stubbornness as a spoiled, rotten brat of God, God would rather take you home than let you continue on in that manner. And believe me, he does that. There are many, many cases. If you start researching this, many, many cases where people, born-again Christians, have, have become so apathetic and lukewarm and refuse to do what they're told and walking rebellion and stubbornness before God, they die rather swiftly. It happens. Now, why why does he do that? Well, what is the purpose of this? As we see with Ananias and Sapphira, it says that it, it built up fear in the church so people would realize how serious this all is. How serious God takes it. He takes sin seriously. He takes rebellion seriously. He takes abomination seriously. He takes the faith seriously. And those who don't take the faith seriously uh, become a disgusting taste and foul smell to the senses of God. That's what the Word of God shows. Yes, He loves us. Yes, he helps us. Yes, he walks with us. Yes, he abides in us. But that doesn't mean he gives us he gives us a free reign to do whatever we want. If you are not bringing Christ into everything, you need to ask yourself, why? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Why wouldn't you want to? Why are you doing and saying and thinking and behaving like that? Contrary to the nature of Scripture, the Lord's going to chastise you. The Lord's going to discipline you. Do you really want the Lord to discipline you? He'll remove his hand of protection and blessing. He will never remove your salvation. Now, in that, there's another passage I want to bring up here. In regarding another argument some people bring up is about the, the, the book of the Lamb, the book of life. The Lamb's Book of Life. All right, so I'm trying to find. There it is. My note on that. So some people say, well, the Bible says we'll be struck out of the Book of Life. How can you say then that, that we have eternal security if the Bible says that we, our names can be struck out of the Book of Life? Well, there are two books. The Bible is actually very clear that there are two books. There's the Book of Life. 
and there's the Lamb's Book of Life. There's a difference between the two books. There's a difference between the Book of Life and the Lamb's Book of Life. The Book of Life, the general, as we see, mentions of the Book of Life, which you can be struck out of. This book is just a general book that has the names of all those who are just generally alive, have life, who are alive. Then you are born again. Second life. The Lamb's book of life are the names of those who are born again. And you can be blotted out of the book of life, not blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. The first book of life deals with those who die, who have died in their sins and cannot enter into heaven. But if you're not born born again, your names are in the Lamb's book of life, you'll not enter heaven. We see Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Which ones? Small and great, the dead of who? The previous verse says, and hell is brought up. Hell is brought up. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Books, plural. The book of life is opened. The Lamb's book of life is opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Do works save you? No. Do righteous works save you? No. Does law-keeping save you? No. Does water baptism save you? No. Does working repentance save you? No. Can Mary save you? No. Can dead saints help you? No. They're judged according to their works, not according to their faith. And then the second book, we see the Lamb's Book of Life, deals with those who are born again and have their sins washed away. Revelation 21, verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth heaven. Nothing will enter into heaven anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we see actually a distinction is made about, about those who are judged out of the book of life because they're not written in the Lamb's book. They're judged according to the works because they're not born again saved. And, and we will be judged by our faith, whether or not we've believed on the Lord. We're not going to be judged according to works. We're going to be judged according to our faith. Whether or not you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior. That's what the Word of God teaches right there. That's Revelation 21, 27. Now, look at this. If a man abide not in me to abide. To walk in, to live in your abode. If you do, if you do not abide in me, now what what context is referring? Salvation or after salvation? After salvation, because we're saved by grace through faith alone, not through making sure we walk in fellowship with Christ to maintain to keep our salvation. No, that's ridiculous. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. All right, so we see the context of this. Now, any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this? Any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this before we move along?
anything else at all. I see we lost a whole bunch of viewers. Um, oh, that's that's okay. That's fine. A lot of people can't stand proper biblical teaching, and a lot of the legalistic Judaizers who try to impress that you have to maintain, you have to keep in the law-keeping style, the, re the religious uh, don't like the sound of grace preaching, that, that it's about grace and not making, keeping, and doing of ourselves, of our hand. A lot of Judaizers get mad at me when I preach this kind of stuff. All right, so. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Now, the other thing I want to add in here as well, if you have your Bibles handy, is please go over to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. All right. Now, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. I want to take a look at something because what people wrongly do is they cherry pick individual passages and try to piece them together to try to use a cross-referencing of heresy. That's what happens when you cherry pick multiple passages and try to string them together to try to create a biblical doctrine that's not. Because as we see, John 15, 1-6 is not talking about salvation. It's talking about fellowship with Christ after salvation. Let's look at Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, because we also saw in James chapter 2, that's not talking about salvation, as James is talking to Christians who are already saved. He's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation. Now let's look at one more, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put them to an open shame. So many think that that's referring to Christians rejecting their salvation. Now, people try to put Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 together with John 15, verses 1 to 6. You can't. That doesn't work. Why? Well, because Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 is not talking about saved people at all. Now, let's look at it. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened. Mental cognizance. Un mental understanding. Thinking. That which is of the mind. Not of the heart. Enlightenment is not salvation. It's just an understanding was given to them, but it did not take root. They did not abide in the vine. They, did, they were not grafted into the vine. They were not grafted into the vine. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted not feasted them. They didn't eat of the bread and drink of the water. They just had a taste. Just a, just a little bit of a, of a glimpse of what it was that, that they were being shown. Tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so what is being made a partaker of the Holy Ghost? What does the Holy Ghost do? What does the Spirit of God do? Convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
uh, or gives you the enlightenment to see how you're a sinner and you need to be saved, shows you the cross, shows you the atonement work of Christ, and shows you how to be born again. They were made a partaker of this. They tasted of the good word of God. They were given a, a glimpse of the truth that they, were, they saw what the word of God says. They got it. They saw it. They understood it. They tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If They shall fall away from that. The white knucklers on the pew or the preachers preaching the gospel and uh, the sound word of God. And they're holding on. They see it. They get it. They understand it. No, I just I can't right now. I just I can't just not right now. If they shall fall away, what is to renew them again? Because they've already seen it. They, they, they saw it. They heard it. They understood it. What's to draw them again? What's to entice them back again? There's nothing new that is going to be shown. It's going to be the same message of the same gospel that they already rejected once. They crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. That's what that's referring to. That, that cannot be applied to John 15, 1 to 6. So you see how proper biblical cross-referencing. We take a look at the word of God, the word of God alone. You pay attention to every word, every point cross-reference it what do other passages talk about what do other doctrines and teachings of scripture teach about we see for example how salvation is not by works this is immensely important to understand it's not by works people say well, well then why does james say faith without works is dead okay then there are some crazy people who, who say, well, well, James is writing to the Jewish Christians and Paul's writing to the Gentile Christians that the Gentiles are not, are not under the law, but the Jews were. Uh, is that why the word of God says is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. There's only one way, one truth and one life, not two. That's one way of salvation, one gospel that is given to all the world by grace or faith, by belief alone, not by works. It's not the Gentile Christians are saved by, by grace through faith and the Jewish, uh, Jewish ones are saved by belief and law keeping. No, no, absolutely not. That, that's ridiculous. Now, James is... is was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul was clearly talking about salvation, talking about the gospel in Ephesians 1, 8, 1, 8 to 9. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Galatians 1, 8 to 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Ephesians 1, 13, Titus 3, 5, and Galatians 2, 16. Paul's clearly talking about salvation in the gospel, which is by grace through faith are you saved and not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works. Not of righteous works, not by law keeping. James isn't going to contradict Paul and say, "Yeah, well, faith that works is dead. You have to, you have to do works too." No, 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 no. Look at the whole context. So Paul is talking about salvation. James is not. John is not talking about salvation. He's talking about after salvation. James is talking about after salvation. Hebrews six four to six is talking about 
before salvation. Paul, with his writings, uh, uh, those passages I mentioned, is talking about salvation. We gotta know the distinct point of what the writer is referring to before, at, or after salvation. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, before salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Titus 3, 5, Galatians 2, 16, Romans 10, 9 to 10, all of those at salvation. James 2, John 15, 1 to 6, after salvation. So, proper dispensation, dispensational teaching, is understanding the points of the context. So this is a finer understanding and grasping of the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, interpretation, application, demonstration. Interpretation, the what, the what of the, the what of narrative, the what of the context. What is it specifically saying? Also, what is the dispensation? Okay, what are they saying? What period of time is this referring to on the salvation scale before at or after what are they talking about how is this applied to that then we see properly how then we can apply it to our understanding for our proper teaching of this so john 15 1 to 6 what's it talking about so, verse 3, you're clean through the word. Clean also in application here is clean teaching. Right, proper, clean doctrine. That which is of the word of God properly, rightly divided. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And if we take a look across the word of God, salvation is by grace, through faith, by belief alone. And once salvation is given, it cannot be taken away. It cannot be lost. It cannot be recanted. It is permanent. Salvation is permanent. That's what the word of God teaches. That's what God who cannot lie says. So therefore, any, any person who would dare emphasize you could lose it, have it taken away or recant it is wrong. They're a false prophet teaching false gospel. They're uh, they are teaching lying doctrines. Get away from them. People who try to use John 15, 1 to 6 as a, as a form to try to teach you could lose your salvation. They don't know what the Bible says. They need to go back and actually read it and actually study up on it because they don't know what they're talking about. Get away from them. You can't lose your salvation. It can't be taken away. It can't be recanted. You can't be ripped out of Christ and cast back into hell and be and be made uh, again a partaker of the condemnation of sin and the wrath of God. The Father does not disown his children. He cannot, will not, nor ever will, because he said so. Those who are in Christ are in Christ permanently. But God can have spoiled rotten brats who are still his children and they will be dealt with as he sees fit that's what this is referring to okay there we go all right christopher says how should we respond to people who keep blaspheming god's name even after telling them mark and avoid 
If you've already asked them nicely, you've already explained it to them, you've already told them uh, how, how you're offended by this and that they are discriminating against your faith and they are hating upon the Lord and you, you, uh, you take offense to this and they won't listen to you, they will not respect you. The Bible says mark those who do such things and avoid them. Cut off fellowship. Don't even talk to them. Show them your disgust. Not being directly rude and or whatever. Just fine. I, I'm, I'm not going to fellowship with you anymore. That's what the word of God says. To mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned of us and avoid them. That's what the word of God says. So that's what I would recommend. Okay. Hey, we've gone for an hour and seven. Okay, the next verse has an awful lot in it. Why don't we take a break? Um, even if it's my parents. Well, in there, the Lord, the Lord talked about this, how... He's not come to bring peace, but a sword, and the, the sword is division. And now, in this, and this is the hard part, but people need to also see how you take the faith seriously. And that if people are going to slight your Lord and Savior, even after asking them nicely and politely in respect, and you showed them this, you told them this, and they won't listen to you, then they need to see how you do take it seriously. Or maybe even for a time, mark and avoid, even just for a while. And they say, well, why come you're not talking to us? And then explain it to them. Let them see that this is serious. This is what you believe. This is a part of you. That This is, this is your God, Lord, and Savior, that they are blaspheming and mistreating. Some people just don't, Understand how seriously you take it. Well, because they don't take it seriously, they think everyone else is kind of of the same thing. It's just a passing fad or something, or just a passing light interest. And let them see this is serious. Just for a while, even just mark and avoid for a while until they come to you and say, "Well, what's going on?" Then you tell them nicely, calmly, properly, tactfully, explain it to them. That this is what you're about. This is your faith. This is your Lord, God, and Savior. And you do not appreciate their abuse of his name and mocking and scoffing of the Lord and that and their mistreatment of the name of God. That if they're going to do that, don't do it around me. I don't want to hear it. Let's explain it to them. And if they will not respect you, even after that, then again, mark and avoid. The Bible doesn't say mark and avoid unless it's family. It doesn't say that. Some people say, well, that's horrible. You tell people to separate from the family. No, I'm not telling, telling you to separate your family. God is. The, the God is no respecter of persons. And all because they're family doesn't mean that the word of God becomes invalid at that point. If a person is being a, dis, a despicable blasphemer, misrepresenting the faith and cursing God, all these kinds of things, the word of God gives us clear instruction how to, how to treat it. It doesn't matter who it is. It may hurt, but it's still the truth. It's still the way that it's to, it's to be done. Again, how many times should we forgive them? Well, yes, I understand that we're to forgive people and be for, be forgiving. 
but that doesn't mean tolerate and condone their misbehavior without any form of reproving or rebuke. You see, you've already reproved them, instructed them, and instruct them properly to teach them about this and not to do that, and they won't listen to you. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. So therefore, after the reproving, if they continue on, a rebuke needs to be done. And the rebuke can even be marking and avoiding. You don't even need to say anything. You don't go and, go and tell them off. No, just let it alone. Now go pray. Go fast and pray while you mark and avoid for a while. While you're marking and avoid, fast and pray for a while. Give them to the Lord. Let the Lord do this. And hey, may, maybe they'll see by this your seriousness of this and how you're truly devoted in this and how, how real this is to you. And they, they may even come and respect this. They may even apologize. Some people just need to see how serious you take it. And if you don't show them how serious you take it, how will they ever see the seriousness of it? Take the Lord seriously, take his word seriously, take all that he says seriously, and watch watch the, the, the heads of the world turn. They'll take notice. When a saint takes the faith seriously, the world notices. All right, so with that, um, I'm trying to figure out, should we take a break or just continue on just a little bit? Uh, why don't we just continue on just a little bit? And we, and we can even uh, come back and revisit this verse again a little bit again uh, tomorrow. But we'll just continue on just a little bit here. Okay, so abiding in the Lord. Now, what are the benefits that come as a byproduct of abiding in the Lord? You see, now this is where some people abuse this principle, misrepresent this principle. And the reason why they hold themselves so strictly to the faith is so that they would reap the benefits. Well, that's not right. That's not what the Lord intended. That's not what it's supposed to be. The reason why we are abiding in the Lord is because we want to, because we love him, irregardless of the outcome. Whether it be the blessings of heaven or whether it be the, the fires of trials and tribulation is irrelevant. I don't care if God blesses me or not. I'm going to serve him and abide in him as faithfully as I possibly can, regardless what comes. That's the attitude that it's supposed to be. But the Lord says, now, if you abide in me, And my word, all of it, not just the cherry-picked parts that you like and disregarding the parts you don't like, but the whole word of God. And my words abide in you. Now, this is implying the full faithfulness. The attempt of dying to self and living unto Christ in all fullness that we possibly can. That's what that means. Of Christ abiding in us and us abiding in the word of God. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That the Lord will hear your prayers. He, he sees your sincerity. He sees your humility, humility. He sees how sincerely and seriously you actually take the faith. That Christ is real to you. The word of God is real to you. 
that, that the realness of faith is so prevalent in you. The Lord honors this. Whom Those who honor me, I will honor, God says. Now, what is this honoring? The faith will become real to you in every way. The manifestation of the blessings of God will be seen in your life in opening doors of utterance for witnessing, ministry opportunities, your prayers are answered, and people will start to see like George Mueller, like George Mueller. Amy Carmichael, Eugenia Price, D.L. Moody, Hudson Taylor, Charles Spurgeon, uh, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, these powerful men and women of God. We see that where there were so many stories of the faith are built off of them. We see how the Lord blessed them. The Lord will bless you like this if you abide in him and his word abides in you. But if you're not abiding in him, how can the Lord use you? You're withering your faith. You're withering your faith. You're wasting opportunity to serve the Lord. The Lord has so many things for you. It's all going to go to waste if you're not going to give yourself to him. He'll pour it all upon you freely. If you would just give yourself to him. If ye abide in me. You see the word? In John chapter 15 verse 7. For now we'll see who actually has their Bibles and is actually reading along in their Bibles. In your Bible, John chapter 15, verse 7, what is the first word? Can someone tell me what is the first word of John 15, 7? What's the first word? If, yep. Now that word, what does that word emphasize? What, what, what does it constitute? That word, if, what does that imply? Choice. You could choose not to. You can choose to, or you can choose not to. If ye abide in me. If you don't, what's the, what's the connotation of not? What's the connotation of doing it? Choosing to abide in the Lord. Okay, now... In this, how, do, how does one abide in the Lord? Do you become like a monk in a monastery or a priest in a temple? How, 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 how do you abide in him? In everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. Well, how do I do that? Mindfulness of Christ. Mindfulness of Christ. How do you do that? For example, being mindful how the Lord provides for you, being mindful of the Lord, how the Lord guides you, being mindful of the Lord's word and his righteousness in your entertainment. When you sit down before your television, be mindful of the Lord and his word and let his word and his spirit convict you about everything that you're doing, guide you in everything that you're doing. Ask him questions about everything that's going on. Bring him into every aspect of your life.
That is abiding in him. As you abide in your home, you are everywhere in your house, aware of everything going on in your house. You want the Lord to be aware of everything going on in your house. Well, he already is. But now it's an actual conscious chosen choice that you want it this way. You're going to let the Lord dictate to you everything going on in your life. You want the Lord to instruct and guide and guard and manipulate and mold and fashion and, and, and control every aspect. That's what you want. If ye abide in me. Now you see what the Lord is saying here. If you, if I, if I, you, choose to live in Christ, in all fullness of Christ-likeness, and my and the Lord's words, the Lord's word, the Lord's scriptures abide in you. There's a problem right there. There's a problem right there. The vast majority of modern day Christians talk about how they're abiding in Christ and they're living in Christ and Christ likeness. They all focus on the first part of, of this verse of abiding in Christ. But they certainly don't allow the full word of God to abide in them. They talk about their love of Jesus, their love of God, and their love of the faith, and the love of church, and the love of fellowship, and their love of this and that of God, and the blessings of God in heaven, and the righteousness of God, and all and the angels, and all. So they talk all about this, but they don't allow the word of God to live in them. They can hardly quote a handful of verses. You never hear them see, you never see them quoting scripture. You hardly ever see them reading the Bible. They hardly ever study their Bibles other than to read it like a reader's digest. And they never allow right sound doctrine to convict them. And they hardly know how to witness. They hardly know how to teach and instruct anything of the word of God. They've been Christians for years and years and years and years. And they're no more sound and educated on the faith than they were the day they got saved. It's not about how long you've been saved. It's about how long you've been in the word of God. People say, well, I've been saved for 50 years. It's not about how far you've traveled. It's about, it's not, sorry, it's not about how long you've been on the road. It's about how far you've traveled. It's not about how long you've been on the road. It's about how far you've traveled. Yes, you have Christ. Yes, you are saved. How much have you learned of him? That's abiding in the word of God. How much of the word of God have you learned? How much have you studied? How much have you memorized? How much have you applied to yourself? How much of the word of God is made manifest in your life? If you're not allowing the word of God to abide in you, what makes you think God's going to bless you? You're dishonoring his word. Dishonoring the word of God 
will cause the Lord's blessings to be delayed. We hinder heaven by our apathy. We hinder the powers of God by our apathy. You can abide in Christ and not allow his word to abide in you. You can call anyone your best friend. But if you don't really know anything about them, you may know where they live. You may know their name. You may know their birthday. You may know their favorite color and their favorite food. But you don't really know them as a deep, actual person. How can we know the deep, actual person of Christ? Anyone can say they love God. But how much of the scriptures you actually know shows how much you actually do. Anyone can own a Bible. How many Bibles do you have in your in your possession? How many Bibles do you actually own are in your house? So you could own a dozen Bibles. But you don't learn the scriptures through osmosis. You learn the scriptures by reading it, by studying it, by putting time in it, educating yourself, searching out the words and the meanings and learning all these things, and then going doing it. Just like any other thing, you learn by the by theory and practical. You could do the book studies, then the hands-on. Book studies, hands-on. Go live it, speak it, think it, do it. Apply it to yourself. So many people say, well, that sounds legalistic. <laughs> that just shows you don't love God. You say you love Jesus, but you don't actually love God. You love the idea of Jesus. You love the idea of God. You love the idea of God blessing you and helping you and providing for you for your life. A God that is your personal genie, not the God of Scripture the God of actual scripture, the God of the actual word of God has something to say about everything. And what he has to say about everything is more important than what we have to say. We need to learn to sit down, shut up, and hold on and read the word of God. Get out of the way and let the Lord speak and let the Lord teach us and show us all things. And the sitting down, shutting up, and holding on is in prayer and fellowship and asking the Lord, Lord, you speak, I'll be quiet. Letting the Lord have a word. Sometimes we go on and on and on and hardly allow the Lord to have two words to, in a whole in a whole sentence, in a whole discussion. We can go to church and still not be paying attention. You can go to church your whole life and still not learn a single thing. And still be just as uneducated as the day you got saved. How can we become educated saints, educated Christians, educated, learned individuals of the faith? Sit down, shut up, hold on to the faith and read the word of God. This is what it's supposed to be. But so many of the modern day liberal personal interpretation Christians are so bored with this. They want new experiences and new revelations and new words of knowledge and new experiences when they haven't even learned the basics 101. How to just sit down, shut up, and, and unlearn the lies and learn the truth. 
unlearn the lies that you have the answers, that I have the abilities, that I do, I learn, I can get. Anything that comes of me is irrelevant anyways and is of no use. Anything that comes of me, and even if you do have experiences, they're irrelevant and unnecessary. This is the only thing that's necessary and relevant. You only need this. You only need to say chapter, verse, passage. That's it for everything. And if you can't do that, you got a problem. You're not abiding in Christ. You're abiding in the Christ of your imagination. If you're not abiding in the word of God, then your God that you fashion is not the true God of the word of God. Newsflash. So you need to examine yourself. What Jesus are you abiding in? If it's not the Jesus of scripture, you got a big problem. Well, my God told me, then your God's not God. You do realize devils can appear as angels of light and devils can appear and actually uh, uh, make themselves to be passed off sounding and looking and seeming like and feeling like God. They can even bring audible voices and people, so many people have been deceived and thinking they heard the audible voice of God and it was actually a demon. That demons can actually masquerade as the Holy Spirit. They masquerade as Jesus. They masquerade as the voice of the Father. They masquerade as angels of heaven. If Satan can deceive a third of the angels, do you not think he can deceive you? How can you know if that's of God or not? This. Not by how it makes you feel, but it, it felt holy. Yeah, do you not think Satan can do that? You don't think Satan can, can masquerade and stir up your emotions and feelings and senses and make you think and perceive and think something else going on? How can you test the spirits to see if they're of God if you're not using the word of God? Well, well I just asked them if, they, if they're of Jesus. Do you don't think Satan can say that he's of Jesus? Satan goes to church. The devils can go to church. Satan quoted scripture to try to tempt Jesus. He tempted Jesus, God in the flesh. Satan quoted scripture and tempted God. You don't think he can quote scripture and tempt you? If you're not abiding in him and his word not abiding in you, what makes you think? You'd be able to resist any temptation, resist any issue, silence any devil. Part-time Christians cannot defeat full-time devils. So abiding in the Lord brings many benefits. Abiding in the word of God brings many benefits. It strengthens our understanding, strengthens our discernment, sharpens our discernment. It brings us closer to the Lord in fellowship and honor and sincerity and, and seriousness. And the Lord is able to then use us properly. Because how, how much is God able to use you if you don't know the Bible? If you really don't know the deeper things of Scripture and how to be able to, to teach and, and give the gospel and be able to explain Scripture and the faith, if you don't know how to do that by the Word of God and the Word of God alone, how much do you think the Lord is able to actually use you? People talk about, well, how, how can I strengthen my faith? How can I do this? How can I do this? How about just sit down and just read the thing? 
How long have you owned your Bible? How much of it do you actually know? You see, you can, you can be married and you know everything about your spouse. You know everything about them. You know, you know, every tick and every quirk, you know, every idiosyncrasy, you know, every, you, you, sometimes you hardly even need to say anything. You almost know what each other's thinking. It's the same with Christ. How close are you with the Lord? How, how much time do you spend where you are so familiar with the way that God is, you know what God would say about a thing. You know how God feels about a certain thing. That sometimes you don't even need to go and read it because Bible verses are popping up in your mind telling you about what God says and thinks about it already. How much time do you spend? Closeness with God is seen by not just standing beside him, but is in the talking in the fellowship. You can go and stand beside any person in the world for as long as you want, but if you don't talk to the person, you're not learning of them. And if they're not talking to you, you're not learning of them. I talk to God, he talks to me. I talk to the Lord, he talks to me. How's your conversation with God? How much, how, how much are you abiding in him? Abiding. If. So therefore, what are the consequences of not abiding in him? You can lose your faith, not your salvation. The faith is your, your trust, your fellowship. Your ability to see the seriousness of. You can sear your conscience with a hot iron. If my people would pray, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. My people called by my name turn from their wicked ways. What's the consequences of not abiding in him? Falling into temptation and sin and wickedness and rebellion and stubbornness. Becoming a spoiled, rotten brat of God. God can't use you. God can't bless you. God's not going to protect you because he's not going to protect and bless sin and abomination and rebellion. Rather, you're going to get the chastisement of God. You're going to get the discipline of God. And in worst case scenarios, you'll be delivered unto the devil for the destruction of the flesh. But your spirit will still be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So many of the modern liberal personal interpretation Christians don't want you to actually know that that's what the Bible actually says. That God would actually take your life if you don't walk properly. It says that. You don't believe me? Maybe you should actually go read the thing. Because it actually says that. Look up the Ananias and Sapphira. Look what 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says. Look what Jesus says. But he who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. What temple? What? Know ye not? Ye are the temple of God which is in you, and ye are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So the question is, why would you not want to abide in him? 
Why would you not want the word of God to abide in you? Answer me that. Her attitude. Her attitude. Your heart is so important. Your faith is so important. You have God and the devil vying for ownership. Think about that. Your heart and your attitude, your life is so important. You have God and the devil trying to claim it, trying to draw it, trying to instruct it, trying to impress upon it, trying to educate it. Who are you going to listen to? If you're not a list, if you're not listening to God and His Word, who are you listening to? Who then is going to be your teacher and instructor? It ain't going to be the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God isn't going to protect and bless and honor that which isn't listening to Him. That that which is not allowing themselves to hear. He who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit saith. You say you love God, but it, but in works dishonor Him? Being dishonorable, disobedient unto every good work, a reprobate? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, but do not do as I say? You say you love God, but do you really? You say you're abiding in Christ. Are you? How much do you know of him? You say you love the Bible. How much of it do you know? How much are you learning? How much of your time is taken up by the faith? You know, because we can sit in a service... We can sit in church, we can sit before a broadcast, we can, we can listen to the word of God all that time, but then as soon as it's over, what do you do? Do you think about it through the rest of the day? Do you allow the word of God to have a place in your mind where you're focusing and meditating on uh, throughout the rest of the day? Or does the, the moment you hear the word amen, it's like the off button, and you completely just... Forget about it, and you go about your day, and you can hardly even remember what was said. The Bible talks about that, about looking in a mirror and seeing what you are and turning and straightly forgetting what it was you looked like. Is We're like that with the Word of God sometimes. We can look in a mirror and see what we look like. As soon as you turn away, completely forget what we looked like. We can look at the word of God and read it and talk to the Lord. And as soon as you say amen, it's like completely forgetting what you look like. God says that's dishonorable. That's disrespectful. How does that make the Lord feel? Imagine if you could, if you treated God the same way, you treat your spouse. How would your fellowship be? How would your relationship be if you treated your spouse the way you treated God? 
how strong and healthy would your relationship with your spouse be if you treated them and talked to them the same amount of time in the same way, same manner, and this in the same amount of remembrance as you did with God? How would your how would your relationship with your spouse be? You see, we don't really think about these things that much. The abiding in. We think that all because we're saved, that means all good, no issues, we're locked in, no withering because we're saved. If you're saved, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your faith. You can lose your fellowship. You can lose the seriousness. You can lose the sincerity. You could lose the fire. You could become a cold apathetic, conscience-seared individual who has no more conviction about the faith and the word and the word of God dries and dries up within you. Your armor is all cracked and rusted and God grieves. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Spirit of God, which is in you of a truth, he abides in you. You can cause God to sorrow and cry. It says the Lord grieves and cries over his children that wander from him. His children that won't talk to him, won't spend time with him. God sorrows. Think about that. Why would we not want to fellowship with him? Well, there's many reasons. One of the reasons could be, maybe, maybe, the reason why we don't is because we know what God will say and we want to keep what we have in our lives without, without having to be told we're wrong. But we know we're wrong. Deliberate, willful ignorance. Refusing to educate yourself on the faith because you know what it'll tell you to do. You know what it'll convict you about. You know what it's against. And I don't want to read it. I don't want to be told that. We won't say that. We'll even try to avoid thinking it. But subconsciously in the back of our minds, we know this. And so we deliberately avoid the deeper things of Scripture because we want to keep our worldliness. We want to keep our sin and entertainment. I want to keep what I want, what I say, what I feel, what I want to do, because I don't want someone else tell me, telling me what to do. I want to have Jesus, but I want to be in control of my life. I will determine when I'm going to abide in him. I will determine when the word of God will abide in me. Okay. If that's what you want, don't be surprised when God refuses to use you. Don't be surprised when God refuses to answer your prayers. Because the word of God flat out says, it says in Psalms 66, 18, if, if we uh, have sin abiding in our hearts, the Lord will not listen to us. The Lord will not hear your prayers. He will not answer you. Psalms 66, 18. If I turn away my ear from hearing the law, even my prayer shall be abomination. James 1, 6-7, if you waver in faith and unbelief, the Lord will not listen to you. You'll receive nothing of God. That's what it says. So again, the question is, 
Why would we not want to? Let us just think about that. If you don't remember anything else, just think about that. What is the full context and connotation of abiding in the Lord and his word abiding in us? And how is my relationship with this? And lastly, why would I not want to? Why would I not want to? Give that some thought. We'll end it there. So I hope that this has been a blessing and a help to you. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope this has been a challenge for you. Thinking about these things. Letting these things maul in your heart and your mind. Maul them over. Meditate on these things. John 15 verses 1 to 7. Read that. Think about that. Understanding it's not talking about your salvation, but rather your fellowship with the Lord and the byproduct of abiding or not abiding in fellowship and walking with the Lord. So there you go. So yes, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything at all, please, by all means, go ahead and ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Christopher says, what about James 1.13, where it says God cannot be tempted with evil? That's right. Is it the, the God cannot be tempted with evil? He will not tempt you with evil. Now, what this means is God will not use unrighteous, unholy, ungodly things, unbiblical things. God will not use that. God will not tempt you with evil, and God cannot do evil. In him is no darkness, no shadow of turning. God cannot lie. He's not the author of confusion. He gives us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So God will only work by, by the ways in which he explains through his words. If you want to know how God works, read the word of God. You want to know how God thinks? Read the word of God. You want to know what God would say, what he would not say? Read the word of God. He uses scripture. He uses scriptural means as the doctrines and teachings and dictations of the word of God by his spirit through the word, not through any other means. So that's what it means by that. And so therefore, anything that even would remotely contradict the ways of scripture is not of God. All right, Wild Blue says the word of God convicts, uh, convicts. So some choose to ignore it. Interesting. God and the devil trying to educate us. A huge battle for the heart. That's right. Who are you going to allow control? So, yeah. Okay, Zay says if a Christian is dealing with addiction sins and strongholds, is that exactly the same as them being a prodigal son, or is this a separate spiritual issue? Being tempted. Everyone is tempted about everything. And it, it, scriptures even say that even Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. So being tempted is just the natural experience of life. Is how uh, the de That's just the devil's coming and trying to tempt you, draw you off and all of this. You could be tempted and resist. You could be tempted and say no. You could be tempted and not give in. So being tempted is just natural. It's learning how to resist the temptation. Now, being tempted and then having these problems in your life that you keep giving into, that's a whole different thing. So you got so you got to then look at the the attitude, the manner in which the individual is giving into it. So 
everyone sins, everyone makes mistakes. Even the Apostle Paul struggled and he even wrote in the Word of God, the things I want to do, I can't do, and things I don't want to do, I do a wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of sin. That, that my flesh wars with my spirit and I cannot do the things I would. And it goes on about this. So even the Apostle Paul struggled and had, had problems and things he couldn't overcome. Well, that's just it. You can't become sinless. You're not going to become sinless. You can't become sinless. Anyone saying that you can become sinless is an uneducated person needs to go actually study their Bible. You can't become sinless. But you can learn how to fight against and hate that which is a part of you, that which you fall into, you, you hate it, and you oppose it, it grieves you, it bothers you, and you hate it, and you fight against it, and you resist it. That's what the Lord wants. Thus loved righteousness and hated iniquity. If you do not hate the sin and hate it so much that when you fall into it, it grieves you, and you fall before the Lord, oh Lord, forgive me, I did it again, forgive me. If you don't have that, you got a problem. So it's a, it's a seeking of the heart attitude where it's the attitude of the heart of God towards sin and righteousness. How does God see it? How does God feel about it? If you do not have the heart of God towards sin and righteousness, then you got a problem. That's what that's about. It's not about the falling. It's about the getting back up. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And we see the psalmist all down through the psalms. Uh, uh, the cry of the heart of the psalmist. About uh, struggling with sin and temptations and problems and oppressions and persecutions. And then look at the wording. Look how he talks. Look at his language. Uh, his grief and grieving and then his rejoicing in the Lord, knowing that no matter what, the Lord will not cast him away. No matter what he's done, no matter what's going on, that the heart of the psalmist is what the Lord wants. If the person does not have that righteous heart the, of the righteous attitude, of the righteous reactions towards these things, that's where you, then you got to be worried if they don't have that. So, but addictions and strongholds, every single Christian that's alive has a private, personal sin and stronghold in their life. Any Christian that say they don't have that is a liar. Because every single Christian has something that they struggle with. It's not about the struggle. It's about how you see it, how you handle it, how you bring it to the Lord, and how it convicts you, how it draws you, how it grieves you. Maintaining that sensitivity to sin. It's like, you know, when you first get an injury, that you can, you can hardly even touch it. It's It hurts so much. It's so sensitive. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. it it's so sensitive. After a while... It becomes dull, and you can touch it and rub it, and you can even hit your hand or whatever. And you don't even feel it anymore. It becomes a scar. We don't want these issues in our lives to become like scars. We want to maintain that raw sensitivity. Where, for example, 
like how you can watch movies and TV shows where they use the names of God as blasphemies all throughout that. Where you hear the blasphemies and the cursings and all the immoralities and all the other sins and abominations, all that, and it, you don't even flinch. You don't even blink an eye. It doesn't even bother you. That's a seared conscience. That's a that's a a, a, a dim view. That's that's a null and void conscience towards sin. But an individual who's raw and sensitive to the things of God, to, to the way that God is and how he sees and feels, every single thing will be like a punch in the face, a slap in the face, like poking a raw wound. And you don't want anything to do with that. You get away from it, turn it off. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I don't want anything to do with that. That's what God wants. It's about your attitude towards sin. Not about whether or not you have sin. Everyone has sin. You can't get away from it. It's not, it's not going to go away until you die. But you can maintain your attitude towards it. You can maintain your attitude towards it. You can't become sinless, but you can become sensitive. And the sensitivity will help control the way you behave about it. If you're sensitive to sin, you'll turn off that stupid filth on the idiot box to television. Then when things pop up that you ought not to be looking at, you turn it off, you look away, go away. You stop saying it, you stop thinking it, you stop behaving it, you start fighting against it. You start purging things out of your life to make it easier to resist. That's what sensitivity towards sin and righteousness does. That's what the Lord wants. That's what scripture teaches. That's what the saints are supposed to be. All right. So there you go. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. And yes, Wild Blue, yes, today we're going coffee-free. I accidentally left it in the other room. I forgot to bring it in, so I'm without my coffee today. So it's going to be cold. Nice cup of cold coffee. Who likes cold coffee? Uh, rabbit trail, rabbit trail. Um, if you're a coffee fan, if you like coffee, um, there's a, a coffee roast that I would highly recommend you check out. Um, it's called Indian Monsoon Malabar. Is there's the name of the roast? Yes, I know it sounds fancy and all this. Uh, now check it out, Indian Monsoon Malabar. It's really good. It's a mi mild roast. I use French press. I use French press and you let the don't let the water the temperature get above 175 degrees and you get a strong flavor but without that that acrid burnt because if you go above that it'll it'll burn the grounds with a super boiling water. Don't let it get above 175. Let it sit for 15 20 minutes, about 30 minutes we want it a little stronger. Then have that use brown sugar instead of white. It's really good. I use brown sugar instead of white. So try that. It's really good. So there's, there's a tidbit for you. All right. So any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all before I wrap this up? So again, today's study was from John uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. Please rewatch this, share this around, and check out these things we talked about. Look at the passages that we discussed and see what it is that, that I'm saying. If you have any comments about this, questions about this, let me know. Bring it up in the next broadcast or leave a comment and I'll try to get back to you when I can. Um, I, now, just 
again, folks, I get a lot of notifications. I get a lot of emails, a lot of messages, a lot, lot of feedback. So if I don't get back to you right away, just understand that's why I'll try to get back to you when I can, but um, I'm not able to respond back to some people as fast as I used to. Some days are slower than others, but overall I'm pretty inundated with messages and emails and stuff. So I'll try to get back to you uh, when I can. I may not be able to answer everyone. I may not be able to get back to everyone. And sometimes if you leave a comment or an email, it's easier for me to just answer it in broadcast instead of actually replying. So be watching for that because sometimes I might actually keep in mind your question and answer it during the broadcast. So this one let you know. Okay. So Wobbly says there is no shadow of turning. Is this an is an interesting super? It doesn't mean what he says he means he's unchanging. Yes. What that means. No shadow of turning. That what God has said is written in eternal stone and is the way that it is for the rest of eternity. That God's character, his attributes, his promises, his warnings, his judgments, his teachings, his doctrines, his theology, everything he said and done, and, and what what's that there's he's not gonna change it, he's not gonna go back on a promise that if he said it, that's what it is, no matter what. Permanent, period, the end, buck stops here. It doesn't matter what you think, what you say, what you feel, what anyone else says, that what God says is absolute whether you like it or not. Facts don't care about your feelings. And so that that's what that uh, refers to right there. No shadow of turning. He will never uh, he'll never go back on a promise. He will never deny uh, uh, one of his promises. He will never deny one of his judgments. And what God says about sin, what God says about righteousness is permanent for all eternity. That's what that means. Yeah. All right. So we're going to end it with there then. And so I hope this has been a blessing and encouragement to you. Please make sure you rewatch this. Check out all our other platforms. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up and make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icon. So you know, when we put up new videos and again, if you have any other things, bring it up in the next broadcast or shoot me a message and I'd be happy to get back to you when I can check out our website, Christian coffee time. .ca, christiancoffeetime.ca. And so we got uh, tons of information there. And on our homepage, you got all the links to all our other platforms and accounts. And you can check those out, subscribe there as well. And check out our other playlists here on our YouTube channel. We got tons and tons and tons of content. Got tons of things uh, on there covering all the topics and teachings and doctrines and studies and debates and such. Check all that out. Got tons of stuff there. If you have suggestions, let us know, and, and we can do some research on stuff or see we put together a video regarding a topic if we don't have one. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. Now, why does it turn away quickly from being convicted of sin? Otherwise, the devil has an opening. That's right. All right, so, folks, so there you go. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining in. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of this. We greatly appreciate your prayers and support. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. <laughs>